Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Wick Realty. Wick has helped me buy and sell a couple of homes over the past few years, and in a city filled with realtors and real estate companies, they truly are one of the best. What I really love is that Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying, selling, building, if you're looking for investment property, or even if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Today's guest is Jeff Justice. He's one of those local people who has a lot of layers. You think you have them pegged and then you find out something and it blows up whatever preconceived ideas you have. So Jeff is a longtime Amarillo firefighter. He's worked for the fire department for 17 years and his current role is the AFD community liaison, which means he's like the PR guy of the fire department. And he looks like a firefighter. He's big and rugged, you know, kind of confident. But here's the thing. Jeff also spent 20 years as a stand-up comedian. He traveled all over the world until he decided it was time for a more standard career. And so now he's here in Amarillo. This is a fun one. Here's Jeff Justice. Jeff Justice, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks Hello. for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. I, uh, I'm excited. I, well, I... I'm glad you're excited. I, I know we've got a lot of different things to talk about, but the first question I like to ask my guests is, why are you here? How did you end up here in Amarillo? Oh, I did, not specifically in your house. Not in my house. house. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're here because I asked you to come to my house. Right? But um, tell, me, like, tell me what brought you to the city. Gosh, that's a complicated question. I, I lived here once when I was three years old Okay. for maybe six months or so. My dad worked for the railroad and... We moved around quite a bit, but I grew up in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, graduated from high school at Mustang. Uh, After I graduated high school, I just kind of moved around, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I always wanted to be a stand-up comic, but Mm -hmm. I didn't have material, didn't have the guts to do it. So I just did odd jobs. I did a lot of roofing. Um, I come from a family of roofers, so that was the skill I knew. Okay. Um, And I was roofing houses in Amarillo. And my cousin worked for the fire department here, and he came by one day when it was about 120 degrees and pops his head up on the roof and says, why are you doing this? Yeah. Come to work for the fire department. You work 10 days a month. You get, you know, like three two-week vacations a year. It's great pay. And I was like, okay. And the next day, I went and signed up for the fire academy. Really? Went through the academy, got hired, and pretty much the rest is history. How long was was that when you went through the academy? It was eleven months long. Okay. So almost a year. Okay, so it's a year long thing. Is is it similar to a college type of experience where you're sitting in classes doing well, stuff, or is it a good it mix of? I I went to college three different times before that. <laughs> okay. I didn't like it. So what I liked most about the fire academy is, is yes, it had those elements where you go in and you sit in a class and you talk about ladders or hose or whatever. But after about an hour, you go outside right. and you start doing stuff. So it had a real good mix of, of a lot of different things. It was physical. It was mental. Because I'm a pretty good test taker. I love to read. I just I can't sit still for very long. Right. So it, it was great for me. I, it was a lot of fun. How long ago did that happen? That was in 1995. Okay. 
So back in the 1900s, that long time ago. <laughs> um, okay, so that's like 25 years then. Yeah. Have you been working with the fire department then for that that much time? Uh, Has it been a, a sort of full stint I, or? I worked there for four years. Okay. I started in '96. The whole time I worked there, my plan was still to be a stand-up comedian. Okay. I didn't want to be, make a career of the fire department. It was just a really good job for a 21-year-old dude. Um, so I made no secret about it. I was going to quit when I and when I had my act ready. So I you could work on shift started, for a couple of days and then work on your act yeah, for yeah, a couple of days. Yeah, you get four days off. Um, you know, about every five days. So I would go on the road a little bit, come back, or do a lot of comedy here. I was the house MC at that time for the Rendezvous Comedy Club. Okay, which was on uh, I twenty seven in Bell. So built up my act, quit, left. Um, but I met my wife right before I left. Okay. So sh- we were pretty serious. She moved with me. We moved to Dallas. She got a different job. I started doing comedy, and then I did stand-up for six years. But during that six years, we got married. We had a kid. She got really sick. Uh, she lost her job, her benefits. Our kid was born premature. We we needed insurance. We needed yeah. benefits, and we needed me to be around. So. I came back to Amarillo, retested all over again, and got hired again. And so we moved back to Amarillo, and that was temporarily uh, 12, 13 years ago. Okay, you're still here temporarily. Yeah, so now this time around, I've been here for 13, going on 14 years. So about 17 years total with the fire department. But now I'm here to stay. Okay, so there's, there's a number of different things um, that I want to ask about. Number one is, is that process of trying to make a living as a stand-up comedian. Especially, you know, starting in Amarillo where you know, it's it's not necessarily a hotbed of comedy clubs. No, it it wasn't even then, you know, in the 90s. No, not really. Um so so tell me about like like what you went through to try to build that up. It was a lot of trial and error. I didn't know the first thing about writing jokes. I just my friends would always tell me I was funny. Okay. And so I could do impressions. I could do different characters. So I kind of went in that direction. But I, I used props in the beginning. I would carry around a trash bag full of hats and wigs and just do ridiculous stuff. Right. I would try anything. I was Trying just, to figure out a style, I guess. Exactly. That. I've tried the angry comedian. I've tried the crazy guy. I've tried all kinds of things. And uh, you, you just, there is, there are schools for comedy, but in my opinion, they can't really teach you how to be funny. You know, you have to learn that on your own through repetition. Right. So I would just do it over and over as much as I could and get as much stage time as I could. Um, And I liked starting in Amarillo because I could get more stage time here, even though we had one comedy club. Okay. But you go to a bigger city like Dallas or L.A. or New York, and there are hundreds, if not thousands of people competing for that stage time, whereas here there was just a few people. Was it hard because you were one of a few people so that you couldn't just rely on the same set, you know, from week to week? You had to come up with new jokes because the people who attend the comedy club, you know, might be back in a week or two. Yeah, you do see a lot of the uh, regular customers over and over. But for me, yeah, it was difficult, but it's necessary to grow as a comedian to try new things. And out of every five minute act I would do, maybe two minutes would work. Right. So I was going to have to trash three of those minutes anyway. 
and try to keep building it up. So you just have to keep figuring out what are those two minutes, and then exactly. you're combining that into a, a better set. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. You just keep evolving your set as you go. How did it change once you moved from Amarillo to Dallas? Was that was it better? Was it harder? I mean, was it kind of a combination of it was both a, of those? It was a combination because um, when I first moved there. You know, I would go in and do some open mic nights or try to get into the local scene. And a lot of the up-and-coming comics were were kind of catty. You hmm. know, they didn't really like the new guy being around. Territorial. Very territorial in some places. Other places, they were very friendly and opened me with welcome arms and had me come in all the time. But other places, I could never get into. Hmm. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was very, I guess you could say, political. Was it... You know, after after you had been doing it for a couple of years, I mean, did you did you feel like you were still kind of setting the stage to do something bigger, to travel more, or to go to bigger cities or bigger venues, or like is that something you can do just in the Metroplex area? No, not at all. It was always from day one to my main goal was to just travel the world. I really am just a curious person, and I want to see everything. And that was one of the big driving factors was for me was to get out and go travel. I, I do not like working the same club, the same crowd over mm-hmm. and over. So, uh, yeah, it, it, that's what makes it difficult is working in Amarillo. It took a little while to build up an act, but once I got it, I kind of figured out the audience moved to Dallas, a little bit different dynamics, tweak it, figure out that audience. But then you go somewhere completely different, you know, the, the Midwest or up North or, out in California, I mean, the audiences are completely different. Right. I mean, you have to change almost everything completely. So I would get to where I would try to book myself in as many different types of venues as possible. I would do church gigs. I would do bar gigs. I would do all Mexican clubs, all black clubs, country and Western clubs. I mean, anything and everything I could find because I wanted to be prepared for any situation. Right. You if just, you're going to be successful, you have to be funny to everybody, absolutely. not just a niche of people living in yeah. Dallas, you know? Yeah. And some comedians will say, well, you got to be true to yourself, you know, but I look at it like your job, no matter who the crowd is, is to make those people laugh. That's what they paid for. Not for you to be yourself, you know? And some comics aren't afraid to alienate their audience mm-hmm. because they want to be true to themselves. But for me, you know, my my act doesn't run real deep. It's just topical humor, silly voices, faces, whatever I can do. So, there's a stereotype of um, stand-up comics or comedians in general, you know, being people that are are kind of depressed or angsty, you know, or that their their lives are darker, and then they go on stage, you know, as a way to deal with that. Is is that yeah. is that a true stereotype? I mean, is that something you saw among your contemporaries? Oh yeah, yeah. There's some big problems <laughs> with in the comedian world. There's people with big issues. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I don't have any real big deep dark secrets. Um, I wasn't locked in a basement, or I worked with a comedian once who that's what all he talked about was. You know, his dad would put cigarettes out on his arm, oh, and it man. was just abusive. And he turned that into an act. But for me, I had been up on roofs in the heat, you know, that that was the dark side. I just, well, I come from a really big family. My mom's side of the family there where she had 13 brothers and sisters. So I have like 90 cousins, a hundred second cousins. Every time we had a family reunion, there would be a talent show. Hmm. So I have singers, musicians, artists, 
you know, performers of, of a lot of different kinds in my family already. So it was kind of a natural fit. Okay. I want to jump back to your childhood and, and growing up in Oklahoma City. You said that you had been in Amarillo, you know, for a brief period when you were three. Yeah. From, you know, from, from your upbringing or your early years, did you have any memory of Amarillo? Did you have any perspective on Amarillo? I mean, did you yeah, think of bit. it at all? I have, I have a few uh, aunts and uncles, cousins that live here. Okay. So I would visited, you know, a few times off and on over the years. And um, we didn't live here a long time, but I always remembered Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. Toot and Totem. And those little wading pools that they always had in the parks. Yep. Because um, we lived over in San Jacinto, and there was a little blue wading pool. That stuck out in my mind more than anything okay. else. I don't know why. Did it ever seem as a place that you might end up, or do you feel kind of surprised at Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. That? I had no plans to, to live here. But once I got in the fire academy, I made friends with all of those guys for life. I mean, I'm still in contact with almost everybody from that class. And I quickly, you know, I, I wouldn't say I fell in love with the fire service, but I was very enamored by it. I was, I liked it a lot. It was a lot of excitement because, again, I've always been a curious person. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of led me into that, you know, the EMT side of it. You see things that you wouldn't normally see. And there's a curiosity there. A lot of those, I suspect, are things that a lot of people would not want to see. I mean, no, that you're in, in high-stress situations or you're in situations where people are visibly uncomfortable, they're hurt yes. or they're sick. Yes. Um, it takes a certain personality to like be able to manage that kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah, it can definitely affect you. And, and I see that after 17 years of doing it. Now I'm kind of to a point where I'm not as curious anymore. Okay. You know, if someone walks out of a house and goes, you don't want to go in there. I go, okay, I don't yeah. want to go in there. Yeah. But used to, I would go, okay, I have to go in there now just to see what you're talking about. How bad can it be? Right. Um, but I think that's kind of the, I hate the term PTSD because of the, the, the word disorder. I don't have a disorder. I'm a normal person that has seen abnormal things. And PTSD to me stands for part of the time I'm stressed, dude, hmm. but not all the time. You know, that stuff is accumulative. It doesn't, I always thought that PTSD would be like the, you know, you hear about these war heroes that have flashbacks right, and nightmares. I don't have that kind of stuff. There's not any one call that triggers anything for me. It's just an accumulation of seeing all these things that eventually just makes you a little more jaded. I it's think. not stuff that you can let go of, memories that you can get rid of. No, you can't get rid of it. I mean, you can sort of talk about it and get try to release the emotion that's attached to it. You know, because when you go into a scene like that, you have to turn every bit of emotion off mm -hmm. and just be professional. And so you don't have time to think to yourself, oh my God, look at that. You know, it's, right. it's this... You just have to take care of business. So then afterwards is when those thoughts start coming in like, oh, my God, what did I just see? And if you don't talk about it then, then it, you will have it attached to it. So that's a very different life from what you're living as a comedian. A comedian, yeah, you know, very and much. I'm, I'm wondering about, you know, that process <laughs> where... What's you, wrong with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, because, because you, were, you were pushing toward the career as a comic... Yeah. For several years, 
then your family situation, the need for the kind of stability and insurance and all that yeah. stuff changed. Yeah. So you had to make that switch. You moved to Amarillo from Dallas. That's a big change. You shifted from kind of this free ranging lifestyle where you're making the decisions to back, you know, to the mm-hmm. fire department. Tell me how that felt. I mean, did it did it feel like you were leaving behind that dream of becoming a comic or that life and just kind of starting a new life here in Amarillo? Yeah, I have struggled, to be honest. I have struggled. I still struggle to this day because, like I said, I came back. It was temporary so we could, you know, get insurance and benefits and get back on our feet. But the longer and I still continued to do stand up comedy, I would travel on my days off. I would take off as much as I could and, and get as many gigs as I could book. But eventually, uh, it it became harder and harder to travel. And then it got to where all of the shows I would do here locally, I would have the same crowd. Mm-hmm. I would have the same act. I didn't have the opportunity anymore to evolve my act or right. continue to write new material. And so it got to a point where it actually made me nervous, really nervous. I mean, I would always get nervous, but it it almost freaked me out nervous. Like Like, you know, I just... I felt like I was losing my ability or my edge. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as a show would creep closer, I would just get really nervous and start thinking about canceling it or how could I weasel out of this? And so after going through a few years of that, I just I sat down with my wife and we talked about it and I finally decided, you know what, maybe maybe I should just let that go. Hmm. Just let that go because as much fun as it is, even when I was doing it full time, the most I ever made was about $20,000 in a year. In a year, yeah. And you're spending most of that money on gas and travel and food, and you're gone all the time. I mean, I was gone all the time, two weeks, three weeks, a month at a time. I missed most of my kids' childhood. So I just had to let it go. Right. Um, and realize that, you know, plus I think stand up has kind of changed over the years. It's not what it was when I started doing it, or especially in the 80s when it was really peaking. There were more clubs than there were comics. Right. And now there's more comics than there are clubs. And the frustrating thing now is I've tried for 20 years to make it big, and then I'll see some 12-year-old with a YouTube channel, and he's got millions of viewers yeah. making millions of dollars. And my wife's always pointed out, like, see? See how easy it is? And I'm like, that makes me mad. Yeah. That's not a see how oh that's a good example that's that's a bad example for me it's like this kid just didn't even know what he was doing threw a video together and now he's a millionaire it's you know it's, you know it's you, you were 20 years too late or maybe you were about yeah, 10 years I too like early I was sort of you know? in the wrong time zone for that or era and it occurs to me that it, it, a lot of people might think, well, if you're funny and you've done stand-up comedy before, then you can just go right back on stage and pick yeah, it up like riding a bike. Easy. But people yeah. do. All, if people don't understand comedy at all. They think you can perform it anywhere, anytime. I, I'm reluctant to tell people that I was a comedian because their first question, tell me are a you joke. funny or Be tell funny. me a joke? Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't, I don't demand that you write me something when I come into your house. And so it's, it's man, it's hard. It's real hard to let that go, and I still haven't completely let it go, obviously. Well, and, and there's you know any number of people walking around who are accountants now, but at one point dreamed of being a musician, you know, or yeah, you know, everybody has those dreams. 
especially creative dreams that can be very hard to make work as a living. Yeah. And when I was a comedian, I never wanted to be that guy, the guy that just couldn't get quite get there and he just gave it up, you know, and now he's a plumber or he's a painter or he's just doing whatever. And now I'm that guy and I've struggled with that. Yeah. You know, so it's tough. Well, I, I think a lot of people are in that place and, and in the, the doing whatever, you know, phase. But I do want to talk about like what you do and why you're doing it, because, you know, it is something that has an impact still, you know, on the city uh, and, and perhaps larger than you would have had if, if you were still, you know, at a comedy club. So I know that your job with the fire department has sort of shifted, you know, over the past few years. So yes, tell me, tell me where you've ended up now and, and what you're doing now. Now I'm currently in a position uh, where I work uh, on days, Monday through Friday at the administration building. And I created this position. We went through an accreditation process a couple of years ago. And it's just this huge internal audit, really. And you look at everything you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. And one of the biggest things the public wanted to know was who we are. They felt like they didn't know anything about us, who are from the chief down, what do we do, how do we operate, other than being firefighters. Right. So I researched other fire departments around the country, kind of saw what they were doing. The bigger ones were moving in this direction. And I wrote up a job description and and just created a job called Community Liaison. And... um, took it to the chief and I said, look, we need someone. We have a public information officer, but he's more of a reactive position that goes out when there's a major incident. We need someone that's going to be proactive, that's going to get out in the community and attend all these events and make sure that we are represented at everything we get invited to. Because we get invited to tons of things. People don't even realize what all we're involved in. So that was a big part of it. I just created this position told the chief and our chief is a very quiet you know he he's just a man of few words so he was all about that he was like yes let's do because that that means he doesn't have to go to all these things so uh i'm 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 very happy where i'm at right now i've been in this position about a year and a half but i'm starting to see now what purpose that comedy stuff served Hmm. all of the acting auditions all of the things that i've done in the past voiceovers no matter what it is I get to use it in my day-to-day job now. I'm starting my own podcast. I have a film studio. I have a video camera. I run all of our social media. I write the newsletter. I go on television. I go on radio. I meet with, you know, city council members. I've just, I have a lot of, a hand in a lot of different things and, and it allows me to be very creative. So now I finally have an outlet with my job. So that makes me real happy. I got tired of riding the fire truck. Right. I got tired of sleeping in the little twin bed. My feet hang off the edge. I got to where I toss and turn every night. Even at a slow station, I couldn't even sleep. So I feel much better now. The image of a, a firefighter probably that most people have is is kind of a, a strong, silent type. You know, not the kind that's going to be particularly social. Um, and, yep. and if the community interacts with them, it's, it's either in this high stress and, you know, environment where yeah. they're wearing masks or something, mm-hmm. or it's because they toured a, you know, a, a station. And, yeah. and so having someone who can be out in public, 
who can interact with people, who can talk and, and has the sense of humor or yeah. um, the dynamic you know, personality that you had to cultivate as a comedian um, probably is, is like a very different sort of feel. Like, like you're breaking a lot of stereotypes of firefighters. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. I always make jokes about, you know, these guys as firefighters, they're not scared of anything. They'll run into a burning building. But you point a camera at them, and they run like little girls. They're yeah. crying. They're oh, get away from me! So yeah, I'm one of the few that that won't shy away from a camera or microphone. Why is it important? Like like why is that? You said you kind of got the idea from some of the larger fire departments across mm-hmm. the nation. But why is it important to have that community outreach beyond just having somebody to show up at the ribbon cuttings and the events and stuff? I think it's important that the public knows what their tax dollars are going towards. And it's kind of like what you said earlier. You know, the only time they get to interact with us is in an emergency situation. This gives us a whole other avenue to meet and greet and talk to people and just sit down and take our time and answer any questions they might have. Um, I just, I think it really helps us gain the support of the community. I mean, if we want new equipment, if we want a new station, you know, it we it takes the community support for that. They we we can't have it without them. So I think it's very important. Tell me about firefighting as a career. Is is it one of those career paths? You know, it's always been one that's been popular for kids. You know, kids are always talking about that. Yeah. Um, but is it one of those that has become harder to continue to staff to to get you know a new generation of young men and women to decide this is what I want to do with my life? Or has it been kind of, you know, stable, you know, from generation to generation? It's been fairly stable up until, uh, you know, the last five to 10 years. It's kind of slowed down a little bit, but I think there are just as many kids interested in being firefighters now. It's just, there's different ways to go about doing it. You know, you have online academies now. um, It's, you know, I went back when I did it, really, it was AC Academy. They still have an academy, but now there's, we, we see candidates now from other cities that we didn't see before. Used, used to be a lot of just local. It's people. all homegrown, but yeah. now you're, you're getting more outside yeah. talent, I guess. Yeah. Is it a career that is still attractive to a certain, a certain type of person, you know, maybe who wasn't always great um, in school or didn't always see themselves behind a desk, but has sort of that, I need to do something active. Yeah. You know, it really, it's a very good fit for a guy or a girl who wasn't quite good enough in sports to get a scholarship or wasn't smart enough to go on to be a doctor, or maybe they were, they just didn't have the interest enough in that. But Someone who has a little bit of everything but likes to be hands-on, it just takes a good overall mixture of those things. But at the same time, we have a lot of guys that are really book smart, a lot of guys that are good with their hands, a variety of different things. The thing that's different now, though, is when I first started, all of the guys that worked on the fire department came from another profession first. You know, I was a roofer. And we had a plumber. You'd have an electrician. You would have like a team of MacGyvers on hmm. the truck. Uh, and it was amazing what you could get done, the pranks you could pull, man. <laughs> <laughs> but now a lot of the kids that we get are, this is their first job. Hmm. 
they went straight from mom's basement to the fire department, which is good, but it's also bad. Yeah. You know, I really don't think this should be your first job. You know, you need a little life experience before you just jump off the truck and see some of this stuff. I mean, you cannot prepare for that. So I don't know. It's a little bit different now. The public has, you know, we've talked about stereotypes that, that maybe people have about, about firefighters, but like, is there anything that maybe would be surprising to us or anything that, that we get wrong? I mean, is, is there... Um, oh, you can just watch <laughs> Chicago Fire or okay. uh, Backdraft or any of those things, and it's totally not not like that at all. It's not uh, soap opera right. or drama. We're not all dating each other. We're not, uh, you know, it's, it's not like that. Uh, everybody thinks we have cool nicknames like Axe or Bull, and it's more like Twitchy or Spanky or something derogatory. Okay. I mean, we're just all regular people, you know? I, I don't know what else, what other differences. What kind of day-to-day experience is it like, you know, being in a station? Is it a bunch of people sitting around waiting for the sirens to ring? And then no, they go do not, something really intense for a few minutes and then they sit anymore. around again. It used to kind of be like that, but anymore now, from eight to five, you're doing stuff, you're taking classes, you're you are doing maintenance around the station, you're you might be standing by for another crew. You, you know, we're always pretty much busy. But you're there for twenty four hours. You know, from after five PM, you can kind of do what you want. You just can't leave the station. Hmm. Um so it's kind of like you're trapped in prison in a way or kind of like being in a frat house without the beer. Guys get a little cagey. They get creative. They That's where all the pranks come from, and that's what really makes it fun. Uh, I've seen some very elaborate pranks over the years. But, you know, you come in about uh, 7 in the morning, and you First thing you do is you check off all of your equipment, you check off the truck, you make sure everything is working. There are hundreds of tools on the truck and you have to literally check off every single one of them. Um, then you do your station cleanup, you you might work out, you're, everyone's required to work out. Um, we go together, if you go anywhere, you have to stay together. So you go on the truck, you go to the grocery store, we pitch in our own money, it's not taxpayer money, and we have a chow kitty and we make a grocery list and we go in and we buy groceries and we come home and we cook. And then in the evening, after all that stuff is done, then it is kind of like that. You just sit around and wait for the tones to go off. And you do. You go from just sitting there and doing nothing to all out working your butt off. Is there a time of day that it's more likely to result in a call out or is it just all day, any time of day. I mean, is it, is it more an evening? Is it more it daytime? It depends on or? the station and the district. Majority, a lot of our calls come between, I'd say, 4 to 6 o'clock. A lot of people coming home from work and getting in car crashes. Okay. Um, and then if you're in one of the busier districts, it's usually nighttime. I mean, once it gets dark... Then it's just call after call after call. There's some, there's like station six, for example. It seems like you do nothing all day. It lulls you into this sense of peace and quiet. And then the second you try to go to bed, it's just the tones drop all night long. Why station six? What's unique mm, about that one? They're out off of I 40 and Grand. So they're real close to, there's a lot of truck stops, a lot of motels, a lot of bars, uh, a lot of nightlife okay. activity in their district. Whereas, say, 
Station 3, which is out here off of uh, South Coulter in the Loop. It's in a residential neighborhood. You don't have as much calls at nighttime. Okay. So it just depends. I know that you've only worked as a firefighter in Amarillo, but I know that you've traveled a lot of places. Is there an aspect of the job here that is different from, say, someone doing it in Dallas or Houston or somebody doing it in L.A. or New York? I mean, is is there something unique about the geography and where we live and the size of the city? Uh, yeah. I mean, for the most part, your tactics are the same nationwide, but we do have a different um, topography, a different, uh, you know, grass fires around here are crazy compared to most places in, in the world, really, because of our wind. So typically everybody else in the country talks about wildfires um, or forest fires, mm -hmm. and we have grass fires that move rapidly. You know, a forest fire might take, you know, months to creep all the way through its course, whereas a grass fire here, in hours, it could just travel miles. And we're kind of an island unto ourselves. Mm -hmm. The city of Amarillo is, you know, we have Lubbock Fire Department, but it's two hours away. So we're kind of, we're kind of on our own. There's here. not a lot of reinforcements. No, you and, and we have a lot of great reinforcements, a lot of mutual aid from the counties and, and surrounding areas. But it is, it's, it's kind of scary in that in that regard. Is that it's going to be a little while before you get yeah. the major help that you need. Well, I would also guess that it, you know, even if you had a house fire, you know, with some of the wind that we have here, it's really easy for that yeah, to spread to neighboring turn houses. Into two or three houses. Yeah, yeah, yeah that happened just a. Uh, a few weeks ago, and three structures burn at once. Hmm. So, yeah, that's pretty common around here. So the the fact that you are are still in Amarillo temporarily, you know, after a decade <laughs> or more doing this, has has it gotten to where living here feels like like home? Like like this is who you are. This is what you do here in Amarillo. Yeah, I've accepted that. I like Amarillo. The people here are very friendly, very giving. This is the most generous community I think I've ever lived in. And maybe it's because I'm, I do a lot of things with charity, whereas I didn't before. And so I see it more often, but man, it just, it never ceases to amaze me. The, the hearts and the, the giving that goes on in this community. So I really like that. It's people are just super nice. Um, for the most part, my son is now 16. I mean, I might as well stick around until he's graduated right. and all that stuff. So I like Amarillo. It's it's a great fit for us and my little family. It's just my wife and I and our son, and that's it. Now, after I retire, I would, wouldn't mind moving out of here. I'm just so tired of the wind. Yeah. I've it, had can, uh, it, can, it can beat you down after yeah. a while. It's relentless. That generosity, do you see that also in terms of the public and their response to first responders, like oh, firefighters. Yeah. I mean, is, yeah. is that something I've, I've heard stories about, you know, people, Oh, well, when Dexter was, was on the show and he talked about people always dropping off water or cookies and, oh, and things like that. It's constant. It's almost weekly. Uh, especially after we have a big grass fire or a big fire or a big incident, people just, man, there's just an outpouring. They bring everything food. They cook you homemade food and bring it to your station. they, I mean, it's it's really impressive. Uh, fill the boot is a real eye opener, or was for me when I first started doing it, because we're not doing it for our fire department. We're right. doing it for the MDA. 
But a lot of people just see a fireman holding a boot and they assume it's for us. So they give you money and they'll say, this is for the fireman here, you know, and you have to correct them. But it was really strange. Like I would, the first year I did it, I got put at an intersection that wasn't in the best neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, I was kind of bummed. I'm not going to get as much money. I got more money than everybody else. Hmm. You know, it's not the guy that pulls up in the Mercedes Benz. They usually ignore you. But when someone pulls up, like I had this group of like these gangster dudes pull up and roll their window down and they're like, what are you doing? You know, and I was like, I'm collecting money. And they start digging through their pockets and they dump their ashtray out with all the change in it. They give you everything they have. That's amazing to me. Do you feel like that's maybe a, a unique characteristic of the people here or that's something that there's just an inherent trust in the fire department? I think both. Okay. I mean, like I said, I've never done fill the boot or charity in other cities, so I can't speak for them. But I really think that just being a firefighter is, it's almost like you're a boy scout. You know, we're one of the last trusted professions out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, when someone finds out you're a fireman, they let you ride in their house. You know what I mean? It's like a little old lady will just let you ride in her house whatever you want to do, you have immediately gained their trust. And so that is something that I take to heart with my job is I don't want to do anything to screw up that trust. If anything, I want to continue to build on that trust. I mean, cops, they have a hard time building that trust and maintaining that trust with the public. Um, Even the military anymore, not everyone supports the military like they used to. So we're really one of the few last professions that people still look at us like we're boy scouts and right there are very few people that are against the fire department yeah i mean that the fire department is never in an adversarial position exactly we can't write you a ticket we can't throw you in jail we're just here to help you period This week's episode is sponsored by SKP Creative, a full-service agency that offers traditional and digital marketing strategies. One of its specialties is social media. So if you're running a business, this quickly changing world, the social media world, can be more than a little tricky to figure out, especially on your own. That's why you need to talk to the professionals at SKP Creative. They develop data-driven communication strategies to share your story and connect with your audience. Visit skpcreative.com today to learn more and schedule a free social media evaluation. SKP Creative. Make it happen. Okay, I'm back with Jeff Justice of the Emerald Fire Department. Jeff, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions as my guest. Your job is to answer those in as much detail as you want to. And, And these are questions that I've asked of almost every guest. Um, and so I'm, I'm eager to hear what, okay. uh, what your answers are going to be. Uh, number one, what's the most underrated aspect of life in Amarillo? The Paladuro Canyon. Okay. I think people drive through here and they never even know about it. Uh, people that have lived here their whole life never go there. Right. I'm new. I'm not from here, so I go there all the time. Okay, so you you have not yet become like bored with it, or you forget no, about it. No, in fact, I'm like going. That. I think I'm thinking about taking off tomorrow and going there. Okay, what I do you like about go. it? I mean, why why is it feel so special to you? It just feels. I, I don't know. I feel like connected to it, man. Like maybe in a past life, I was hmm. a Comanche Indian and lived in Paladero Canyon. I just feel this deep 
spiritual connection to Palo Duro Canyon. When I go down there, I, I don't go with anyone. I seek solitude. I don't want, I, get, I go there to get away from people and life okay. and forget about everything. It's wonderful. Is there a particular trail or area that you no, like? I haven't even been on all the trails. I try to, I'm trying to get, get through all of the trails. I've got most of them, but a lot of times I end up going off the trail. Okay. Uh, and the last time I did that, I got into a place where I was, it was a little sketchy and I almost couldn't get back down. And I was like, okay, you got to quit doing this. You're going to have to call your buddies have to, to get you out. call my buddies to yeah. come rescue me. That'd be embarrassing. Exactly. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? Braceros on 6th Street. Okay. Best Mexican food around. What's your standing order there? I mean, do you have a favorite? I usually get the chicken fajitas. Okay. Now, Amarillo has a lot of great uh, Mexican food places, Tex-Mex places. Oh, yes. What What Lots. is it about Braceros that know, puts I it like, above the rest? I like the food. I like the atmosphere. They're very friendly. The owner, Jaime, is really friendly. He always comes out and makes a point to say hi to the customers or ask you how it is. And I just, I just like it. What does this area have too much of? Slow drivers. They drive me crazy. Now, this is somebody you, as a, a firefighter, you're rescuing people who have been in wrecks, but mm-hmm. you, you still think that, that maybe people drive too slow. Too slow. I'm not encouraging speeding. I'm encouraging you to speed up. Okay. Get out of the right lane. Quit blocking me. Uh, and get out of the left lane also. Just get in the middle lane. I'd be happiest with that. I I haven't ever asked... <laughs> A firefighter like your perspective on other motorists when you're in a hurry and you're trying to get oh, somewhere. It's so frustrating. Is it? I mean, that's when we wish we could give tickets. Uh, in my mind, I've invented this thing called sticky tickets, where as we drive by a car that doesn't pull over, I can just shoot a sticky ticket on their windshield and we keep moving. Right. You don't have um, to stop. Yeah, it would be great to just give that guy a ticket, but. That's the most frustrating part as a firefighter is you can't, we don't have time to stop and pull them over and grab them out or give them a ticket or whatever. We just have to make our way there. Right. And it's amazing how many people don't pull over really? or don't pay attention or don't hear you uh, or see you. Everybody's on their phone. Cars now are built so airtight so you can't hear the road noise. Well, you also can't hear our sirens. So that's very frustrating. What does this area not have enough of? Well, I was going to say fast drivers. (laughs) (laughs) Moving back here from Dallas, you know, I got used to you're in a race whether you like it or not Mm -hmm. in Dallas. Um, I don't want I don't enjoy going 90 miles an hour, but I do enjoy going the speed limit. And it just seems like people are always if there's two lanes, there's two people in front of me going 35 and a 45. Okay. It's it's surprising to me the number of times I've been driving in Dallas and have not paid attention to my speed. I've just been going with the flow of traffic. And then I look mm-hmm. down and I'm going 85 or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, it's and, crazy. I've passed cops and <laughs> looked over and they're just like, no big deal. Yeah. Well, as, as often it's safer to... Flowing, yeah. It is. It's the safest thing to do is to go with the flow of traffic. So people that are going 45 and a 55 are actually the unsafest on the road because now everyone has to go around Right. Them. So... Okay, so your job is to represent the the Amarillo Fire Department. I, I'm wondering, how do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? It's flat and windy, but there's a hell of a canyon just south of here. Okay. Make your you way Put there. that on a billboard. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, I mean, that's that's a big part of the draw is, is still the canyon. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For me, it is. I mean, what else is there around here? Well, yeah. <laughs> the people. The people. I mean, it's hard to sell people on just that. When was the last time you went to the Big Texan? 
last year, actually, I went several times. They had a thing called Lunch with the Mayor. Okay. And they would take fifth grade students that were kind of honor roll students or selected by their teachers um, once a month to get to go have a dinner at the have lunch at the, at the Big Texan. And as a with the fire department, like you're there as a yeah. So they would have a cop, a fireman, um, someone from animal control, a librarian, the mayor. Okay. And you would each get up and give a little spiel. Um, but that was always fun. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I'd have to say Roasters on Georgia. I'm not a big coffee shop guy, but when I do, I, I enjoy going there. There's usually plenty of seating, and, and if you need to have a conversation with someone, you can kind of get away. Okay. Is that um, that location of Roasters, they've got several locations. Is that one just yeah. because it's sort of centrally located and it's the best one? Yeah. I just like the layout of it. I kind of like that little dim, sunken yeah. area. And it didn't it used to be, it used to be a Burger King. Deli or... Before that, was it was a Burger, a Burger King? King, yeah, and and had a weird little solarium, you know, inside the Burger King. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is this is a question I like to ask to see if you'll identify with a certain team: um, Pack-a-Sack or Toot and Totem? Pack-a-Sack, definitely. Why, why is that? I knew you were going to ask why. <laughs> it doesn't have the word "toot" in it. <laughs> okay, part of that is is just that uh, comedians' <laughs> appreciation for it's for a third weird grade reason, or, but it's a reason. Yeah. Yeah, no, really. There's there's no big preference. Uh, there's a pack of sack near my house, um, so we stop there all the time. And the people there are friendly. And when we, when I was on the fire truck, we usually in my last station would stop at the pack of sack, and they always treat us nice. They'd usually give us a free drink or something. And so I'm going with pack of sack. Okay. Well, Jeff, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's something that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Well, guess what? Paladuro Canyon. Okay. Again, I think there's so much history in this area um, as far as Native American history and culture and cowboys and the railroad and the Wild West a lot of that just came together right here in this area, and it just feels rich with history here. I can agree with that. Jeff Justice, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks I appreciate for having it. me. And that concludes the show. First, I want to say thanks to Jeff for the interview, and thanks, as always, to the Amarillo Fire Department and other first responders who keep the city safe. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and to SKP Creative and Wick Realty for sponsoring the podcast. Hey Amarillo is made possible through sponsorships just like those, as well as the support of people like my executive producers, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, Daniel Davis, Corey Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Chris Selda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Wilson Lemieux, and Jason Burr. All of those good people support the show through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. And you can do it too, if you want to. This has been episode 122 My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.